So welcome back for another study through Thomas Watson's study through the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer from his book entitled The Lord's Prayer. And what I want to do is just, we often go to Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is specifically what we're spending a great deal of time studying. But I like to go back to First Chronicles sometimes and just see how much it parallels. Uh, you'll remember that we had a sermon on it last year, the prayer of Jabez. And it's incredible how much it parallels the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And what is particularly striking to me is how it closes just like the Lord's Prayer. So 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 to 10. And remember, this is pretty amazing because it's just kind of tucked in there amidst eight chapters of um, chronology of who begat, who begat, who begat. You know, it's just, and there's just this little thing tucked in here for us um, to benefit from. And what I want to do is read it and, and then highlight the last part. So J, the prayer of Jabez, 1 Chronicles 4, 9 and 10. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested." He's said to be more noble, and God grants this prayer. So I think this is a great example of a way to model prayer for us, and much of it is in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the sermon on this text was uh, pray to live honorably. If you look at the details, it really seems to be concerned that I would honor you, Lord. Bless me to honor you and everything, and then therefore the Lord honors him with that request. Um, but what I want to highlight particularly is the last part of his prayer. The last petition, if you will, of his prayer is so similar to the last petition of the Lord's Prayer that we're studying. And we've looked at this at the beginning of our study, but I think it's good to review here tonight. He says, the last thing he says is, uh, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil. Keep me from evil. Um, so it's kind of the second part. If I'm tempted, keep me from evil. I guess you could say it might have in mind, keep me from being tempted, and if I am, keep me from giving in to the temptation and sinning. But then notice he says one other thing that it may not grieve me. And that's what we want to recognize. As we're praying for the Lord to help us sin less for his glory, it's also that it wouldn't grieve us. Sin will cause us to grieve. And all of the quotes in our bulletin for a while now by William Secker, the consistent Christian, happens to overlap this. I didn't plan it. It just kind of happened in God's providence. But notice a lot of the quotes that William Secker has been giving us in the bulletins recently um, are really recognizing that idea of it's sweet on the outside, it's bitter in the middle. At the end is a sting. Uh, you know, you're going to see those kinds of things. So that it wouldn't grieve us. And then, of course, that we wouldn't grieve God, the Holy Spirit. And that we wouldn't, um, that's Ephesians. And that we wouldn't grieve one another. And, uh, you know, just when we sin, it affects everyone. Um, so that hopefully will motivate us as we continue our study. I'm going to start with the 16th subtlety now. Let me just put the Bible down. The 16th subtlety. So we have been studying all these different ways that Satan is so subtle. He's so cunning to trick us. We choose to sin. We knowingly do what we do, but we tend to let him lie to us. We tend to let him convince us to do it. He's very subtle. Again, if he was to just put it right there in front of us, 
hey, I just want you to know when you do this, all these horrible things are going to happen to you. You're going to feel horrible. Life's going to be horrible. You're going to make others horrible. You're going to hurt your witness for God, yada, yada. You're going to doubt your salvation. He doesn't tell you any of that. He tells you this is going to feel good. This is going to help solve that problem. Da, 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 da. Has God really said, no, actually, you're going to be just like God, knowing good and evil, right? So he's so good at tricking us, and he's so subtle. He knows each of us. He, he observes us, and he watches patterns, and he's been doing this for millennia, and he, he kind of recognized general patterns, and he's got, oh, I know, I got the perfect tool for this one. And he just knows how to go right after us with what's most likely to get us to do it. So we are on the 16th subtlety tonight. He's very subtle. He's good at tricking us to do something that we shouldn't do. Now, remember, I think there are 27 subtleties, I think I said. So we're, we're making some progress. I have an idea of where we might get tonight, but I'm going to be more mindful of the clock. Now, Mr. Max, I'm going to ask you to feel free to throw something at me uh, if I or stand up and wave. A lot of things are needed like that for me to actually even notice. But uh, I should be okay in the time, but there is a pretty good clear on the clock. And uh, just because I'm wearing a watch means nothing. I completely forget it's there. So I think I've told you the joke many times. Uh, Jerry O'Neill, my, my boss at the seminary and also one of my professors, retired now, he used to joke. I think he did this once at our church. I forget. He was, we were visiting together or he was visiting our church. He took off his watch, put it on the, on the pulpit to try to keep track of time for a Sabbath class, let's say, I think it was. He says, of course, you know what that means when a pastor puts his watch on the pulpit. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, we just, we get into it, especially if you're getting into it, and we just completely lose track of time. I, I do want to be careful to try to close at 8, so I'm asking for help for that, okay? Uh, 16th subtlety. The 16th way that Satan is very subtle to trick us to sin. He draws men to presumption. He draws us to presume. I think this is not really the definition of presumption, but you, I think it's okay to say he makes us stupid. <laughs> you know, he makes us just stupidly think we're fine or you know, nothing to worry about, and or oh, God will forgive us. You know, whatever it is, we'll get into the details. But basically, the sin of presumption. And uh, what I intended to sing, but I forgot. But I'd like to sing at the end of this section, so I don't forget, is a psalm that he references speaks very directly to this issue. The sin of presumption. And he says uh, it can be uh, a confidence without sufficient ground. Presumption is a confidence when you shouldn't be confident. Okay, A confidence in yourself or in the wrong thing. right? Or a confidence in grace in a sense that you take for granted. Okay, um, It is made up of two ingredients. So sinning presumptively is made up of two things. First, audacity, and second, security. We'll bear out what these are, but I looked up audacity. I think, you know, audacious, we think about these things, it seems brass. But when I looked it up to just get a good sense of what it means, at least in the modern dictionary, um, that you're willing to take bold risks, that you're willing to boldly take risks. And things you probably shouldn't, okay? Um, it's made up of that, audacity, and security, Presuming upon uh, things in an audacious way of proud and risk-taking and think, ah, nothing bad will happen. Or, I guess it's okay if I can be back because I'm totally secure in grace, right? Grace abounds. Let sin abound that grace would abound. No, right? That's not what Paul says. That's kind of what we're getting at. Presuming upon his grace. Uh, presuming upon uh, that we can just do whatever we want. 
I, I did want to turn with you to our larger catechism that talks about some sins are worse than others. Some sins are more heinous than others. All sins deserve death, but some sins are worse than others. And uh, one of the things listed is presumptuous sins. So I'd like to look at that together. 151, I'm going to get it on my phone here. Westminster Larger Catechism, 151. I might have said confession. If I did, I apologize. Okay, 151. Okay, I'm still learning how to navigate this baby. Almost. And one more next, I think. Okay, so... Oh, yeah, I'm getting old and hardly read this thing. (laughs) Okay, so the question is... What are those aggravations that make some sins more heinous than others? Now, the question before 150 asks, are all sins the same? And the answer is no. Some sins are worse than others. Heinous means like especially bad, okay? So I'm going to read it all because I think it's worthy of revisit, revisiting. Uh, I've got to turn up the light on my phone. Ah, that helps. Still kind of small for my old eyes, but I can see better now. Okay. So then question 151, of course, the, the catechisms always build off in a logical order of the questions that came before. Okay, if some sins are worse than others, a natural question is, what are they that I could particularly avoid them, right? And uh, if they are particularly wicked, it seems to me Satan would particularly try to get us to do those ones, right? Okay, so question 151, what are those aggravations that make some sins more heinous than others? Sins receive their aggravations, meaning a higher degree of wickedness, one, from the persons offending. If they be of riper age, greater experience of grace, eminent for profession, gifts, place, office, guides to others, and whose example is likely to be followed by others. Two, from the parties offended. If immediately against God, his attributes and worship, against Christ and his grace, the Holy Spirit, his witness and workings, against superiors, men of eminency, and such as we stand especially related and engaged unto, against any of the saints, particularly weak brethren, the souls of them or any other, and the common good of all or many. Three, from the nature and quality of the offense, If it be against the express letter of the law, break many commandments, contain in it many sins. If not only conceived in the heart, but breaks forth in words and actions, scandalize others and admit of no reparation. If against means, mercies, judgments, light of nature, conviction of conscience, public or private admonition, censors of the church, civil punishments, and our prayers, purposes, promises, vows, covenants, and engagements to God or men. If done deliberately, willfully, and here it is, presumptuously, impudently, boastingly, maliciously, frequently, obstinately, with delight, continuance, or relapsing after repentance. Four, from circumstances of time and place, if on the Lord's day or other times of divine worship or immediately before or after these or other helps to prevent or remedy such miscarriages, if in public 
or in the presence of others who are thereby likely to be provoked or defiled. Wow, that's a lot. And as I'm reading that, I want to say thank you again for going through sermon series through the larger catechism for four and a half years. Because I pretty much tried to cover it all. I don't think I went through every single scripture, but there's a lot here. So I'm not going to go through it all. I think it's worth thinking about those things. Uh, I'm not going to comment on anything else but the one thing because I'll easily get into distractions. But what I do want to highlight is here, presumptuously. It relates to willfully, but presumptuously is in a sense, we know what we're doing. It's not a sin of inadvertence or ignorance. And it's not so much, you know, that dart was coming and we didn't really prepare properly and it nailed us. It's more like we know it's wrong. We know what we're going to do is wrong. And we do it anyways. We do it audaciously, uh, with confidence, without sufficient ground. Uh, that is bold, risk-taking, thinking, ah, I'm not going to end up sinning. We, we know there could be a great risk with it, but we do it anyways. Ah, you know what? It's not going to happen to me. Yeah, it is. 1 Corinthians 10, right? Let he who say he stands be, uh, uh, beware lest he falls. I'm sorry, that's a quick paraphrase. But, um, but then also this false sense of security. Oh, because I'm saved in grace, I can go and sin, do whatever I want. I get my get out of hell free card, and now I can live like hell. doesn't matter, because I'm free. That is not what Paul says. In fact, he says the opposite, right? He says, shall sin abound because grace abounds? God forbid. God forbid. Okay, so that's, uh, I thought it was helpful to see that, you know, our larger catechism deals with so many things. So, for instance, I had an email last night uh, from a, a friendship of someone I'm working with through the Alliance. And uh, almost 80 uh, lady I've shared with you about for prayer. And she asked me some important questions from a Bible study. And uh, I won't get into the details because then I'll go too long. But I shared with her a sermon and some scriptures that answers the question. She's, she's right but needed to know how to answer who was wrong. But then I also shared with her some things from the Confession of Faith and from the larger catechism we studied not long ago, which perfectly speak to what she's asking. And I just want to remind you, and I'm hoping she more and more appreciates, the confessions do the hard work to answer most of the main questions of the Christian faith. And I just want to remind you that this is here. These kinds of things are all dealt with. We have a wonderful tool for us, the confession and the catechisms. And the larger catechism is meant for the mature Christian, so it's in great detail. Okay, that being said, back to the study. He says, first of all, this happens when men presume that they are better than they are. You know what? I'm in such a different place with the Lord right now. I don't need to worry about that anymore. I don't need to worry about the protection. I can go there. Da, da, da. Boom. Tried to tell you, don't go there. You know? You know, whatever it is. It could be pride because I'm so proud of myself for this or that. You know, pride comes before the fall. <laughs> you know, um, so thinking we're better than we are, that we don't need to be always praying. Maybe we should say, someone who thinks they're better than they are is not likely to pray and lead me not into temptation, but delivering me from evil. They might pray a lot more like the Pharisee. Thank you that I'm not like this publican. I'm so great, this and that, aren't you glad to have me? Well, yeah, that, that guy that's going away, not justified before God, right? And maybe we get to where we don't even think to ask for mercy. We don't recognize the need to keep praying for grace and mercy every day that we wouldn't sin. Um, we think we're better than we are. We think we're beyond it now. Uh, that's, remember, from previous things he's showed us? That's, where, that's one of those ways Satan's going to get you. 
right after you think you had a mountaintop experience, he's going to make you slide down the other side <laughs> if you're not careful. So we presume upon God thinking we're better than we are as if we almost, we've, we've got this covered now, right? And we don't remember to depend on God completely and constantly. But the other way we presume upon God is we presume upon God's mercy. We presume upon his mercy. God is so gracious and merciful, he'll forgive me for this. Therefore, I'm going to do it because I know he'll forgive me. And the truth is he forgives us. But we're not to use his grace as an excuse to sin. The reason he gives us grace is to sin less. And Jesus says, the person that has been forgiven much loves God much. And it's very clear, we know from the scriptures, what is the love of God? The keeping of his commandments. What is sin? The breaking of his commandments. So if grace is really growing in us, we're not saying, hey, I'm forgiven. I can get away with this. We're saying, help me, Lord God, not to do it after you've been so kind to forgive me of that and rescue me, Lord. So presuming thinking we're too good to sin or presuming upon God's amazing grace to think it's okay to sin. And he says, Satan soothes men in their sins. Satan soothes men in their sins. It gets us to a place where we we excuse ourselves and make ourselves feel okay about it. Come up with all these reasons why we do it and and we just presume upon God. Uh, when he says Satan soothes us in our sins, it makes me remember a powerful quote he said last week. Satan's policy is to tickle us to death and to damn us with delights. So he soothes us in our sins. And of course, if you get soothed too much, what can happen to you? You can go to sleep, right? Uh, he says, how many with vain hope go down to hell. How many with vain hope go down to hell? We studied the blessedness of assurance of salvation in the morning sermon this week, right? But it does mention at the beginning, I didn't highlight it because the point of the sermon was to impress upon us assurance of God's grace in Christ, that we would seek it and grow in it. But it does say that there are some who are lying to themselves and it's false assurance we don't want to presume upon God's grace. First of all, if we think we're a Christian, we're not because we go to church. Right? Think we're a Christian and it doesn't matter how we live because we were born in a Christian family. You know? you know, grace by association or osmosis or something. right? You know, We have to trust in Jesus ourselves. We have to ask Jesus to make us born again. We need to know him as our personal savior and our good shepherd, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of his everlasting covenant. We have to answer his call, follow me personally, right? But um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a danger also truly being saved of just stumbling along the way with stumbling blocks when we could be running the race better if we don't presume upon him. And I'd like to pause here before we continue. I meant to sing it at the beginning, but maybe, maybe it's a good idea that we do sing it after studying that. Let's turn to Psalm 19 in the Psalter, please, the second part. Now, I'll give you the page number when I get there. Psalm 19. Now, the first part of Psalm 19, remember, proclaims God's glory and that all God's creation, the heavens, the skies, the sun, give glory to God. And it's talking about general revelation. The second part of the psalm talks about special revelation, page 35, page 35. 
It talks about God's special revelation. And we know from Romans and Paul that God's general revelation is enough to condemn us. I mean, it should cause us to give him glory, of course, but we need God's special revelation to be saved. And that's what we sing about on page 35, the second part of Psalm 19. But notice especially verse 13. From secret faults, thy servant keep from all presumptuous sin. So there's concern to be cleansed from secret faults, but also it highlights, keep us from presumptuous sins and do not suffer them to have dominion over us. Then shall we be righteous and innocent from the great transgression. Uh, We want to particularly pray, please help me not presume upon you and presume about myself. Please help me not presume upon your grace. Keep me innocent from the great transgression, the heinous transgressions, especially of presumption. And so let's sing about that, and may the Lord truly make it our heart's prayer as we continue to study together. And excuse me, especially have verse 13 in view, but of course, let's soak in all of it. Verse 7. Actually, (laughs) I'm tempted to sing it the way we know how to sing it. in a, in a more modern tune, but uh, because I'm rusty and I'm not sure how it'll get us to the last verses, let's go ahead and stick with, let's go ahead and stick with the tune with the text here in the Psalter. Da 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 da. God's law is perfect and converts the soul in sin that lies. Great. 
for them that keep the same. Who can his errors understand? O oh, cleanse thou me within from secret faults thy servant keep from all presumptuous sin and do not suffer them to have dominion over me then righteous and innocent I from much sin shall be the words which from my mouth proceed the thoughts sent from my heart accept O Lord for thou my strength and my redeemer art. Amen. Something I think to recognize there, the last verse of the psalm, which seemed to be advice about how to deal with this and, and avoid presumptuous sin, or deal with it as it's in the midst, uh, as we think about our study tonight. Because the point is that we would the Lord will give us more victory in conquering over these things. It is that he forgives us, but we pray, help us not, help us not sin. Right? We also pray for forgiveness and to forgive others. But uh, in terms of presumptuous sin, it's interesting, it says, protect me from presumptuous sin. Let not it have dominion over me. Then I'll be innocent from the great transgression. Then what does he say at the end? The favorite part of it, uh, I think probably for all, but I know for Mr. Renner, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, my strength and my redeemer. And uh, I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly, your last surgery, those were your prayers before you went under the knife, right? It's encouraging that those were your thoughts. And I, it, I think that we need to be praying that more. I wrote an article on the sixth petition a while ago and probably, I think, reflected the sermon in the larger catechism, if not Matthew, for Place for Truth. And one of the things I pointed out uh, is that if we would pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil more, that'd be a regular part of our prayers. Because I think if we don't follow the Lord's Prayer directly, I'm not sure we actually pray that a whole lot. What do we spend a lot of our times praying? Forgive me, I did it again. But if we would pray that more, we would, ha we would not have the need as much in some ways. Not that we shouldn't always ask for forgiveness. But uh, we wouldn't need to pray as much, forgive me, of my debts. Because we'd be asking, Lord, help me not to do it, right? This is not to say we can live perfectly. We need to be praying for forgiveness every moment. Nothing we do or think or say is without the influence of sin and imperfection. But it seems to me as we continue, because we're closing this, this, this 16th subtlety with singing that psalm, and he closes this section with that psalm, uh, lead me not into, excuse me, and uh, keep me from presumptuous sins. Lead me not into presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. That's verse 13. Verse 14 is, create in me a clean heart. So something I intend to say is, 
when you catch yourself about to presume upon the Lord. Start to pray it immediately. If a word has started to come out, replace it with, stop, lead me not to, uh, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Excuse me, I'm going to Psalm 51 now. What did I just say? End of Psalm 1914. Um, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable. You say, just catch yourself right there. Don't presume further by going with it. Well, I might as well do it. I've done it. No. Stop yourself. Let the words of my mouth meditate. Lord, forgive me. My mouth, my heart, starting to go the wrong. Cleanse me right now. Cleanse me right now, Lord. Catch yourself. Don't continue to presume. But pray the Lord will stop it and cleanse you right there. So anyhow, uh, that's the 16th subtlety to get us to presume. The sin of presumption by audacity and security by presuming we're better than we are and presuming upon God's mercy to allow us licentiousness. Okay, now we're at the 17th subtlety. Satan carries on his designs against us under the highest pretenses of friendship. And of course, he'll do that a lot through people who pretend to be your friends, and they're not. They are, as the proverb speaks of, uh, they are the liars who will fill you up with all kind of flattery. And they're just using you, and when they can use you no more, now you're dead to them and they're done with you. But in the meantime, they'll flatter you, because that's what we want, right? You know, uh, <laughs> I always think of this old movie from the 80s. I can't necessarily recommend it, but I, I know most of us have seen it. It's not like it's a bad rating, but certain things shouldn't be even in PG. But I remember there's this one scene where uh, they're in a boardroom, and the person says, well, do you want me to tell you the truth? And the other guy says, no, lie to him. He likes it. You know, you know, of course, tell me the truth, right? We don't want to be lied to. But we actually do kind of like to be lied to when we want to sin. And we, and we want to be able to be excused. So a lot of times we're looking for friends to come alongside us, put their arm around us and say, have it your way. You deserve the best day. You know, you know what? A little bit never killed anybody. They don't understand what you're going through. Just take the edge off. Thanks so much for understanding being my friend. Well, what should they be saying to you? Let's pray. But first, let's pray. Let's open the Bible. Let's go to church. Let me encourage you, brother or sister. Give it to God. And Satan will pretend to be our best friend to get us to sin. And just act like he's there for us when no one else is. Frankly, because we haven't invited them most of the time. <laughs> but he's right there, somehow or the other, ready to be our best friend right there. And we're ready to go right to him and talk to him some more to tell us exactly what we want to hear, which we know is a lie, but we'll let him lie to us. He carries on his designs against us under the highest pretenses of friendship. And so Matthew 4, verse 3, remember... He gives us the example of how Satan will tempt if he did it to Jesus. He's going to do it to us in those ways, at those times, in these manners, at those weaknesses, you know. And so what is one of the things when Jesus is sent into the wilderness, and Matthew 4 also parallels in Luke 4, what does Jesus go through for, I believe it's 40 days and 40 nights? Fasting. So I think it's fair to say this is miraculous that he's surviving through this, but he'd be really hungry, right? So Satan says, command these stones to become bread. Matthew 4, 3. And what he's saying, you got to be hungry. 
we need to take care of that hunger. We need to take care of you. you got to take care of yourself. But if he did that, and he could have done that, he is God. He turned, he made a whole bunch of fish and bread out of just a little bit, right? He, he, he turned water into wine. He surely could have turned the stones into bread. Now, remember, uh, and we're going to start getting to some of these quotes pretty soon in Deuteronomy. I believe it's chapter 8. I think it might be in chapter 6, actually, too, as I've been looking ahead. Uh, he quotes Deuteronomy a lot against Satan's temptations. It's almost entirely Deuteronomy that he quotes. But um, I have words, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, right? So there's your answer to this temptation. But Satan's trying to pretend he's a good friend. He's concerned for him. He's concerned for his weaknesses, and you got to take care of yourself. And you know what? Just use your power. Just use the shortcut. But if he had done that, we would not be saved. He would be going against God. He wouldn't be enduring the temptation. He would be giving in to the temptation to take care of himself, rather than the whole point of the temptation is he would never disobey God. So he would be our righteous substitute. Not only him as our uh, shepherd on the cross, uh, excuse me, our sheep on the cross, the suffering sheep, the Lamb of God, but also he is our righteousness. He's the perfect son, lives a perfect righteousness. If he disobeys God, it would be sin. And he'd never save us. But he could have done it. But see, Satan goes about it and acting like he's concerned for us. He's our friend. And that's how liars will do it. That's how Satan will work through people. They'll convince you they're your, they're your best friends. They're, more, they're better to you and care more about you than your family and your church family. And they'll just seduce you with this or this or that until they can't get anything out of you anymore. Because what is Satan trying to do? He's trying to get something out of Christ, right? Okay. Uh, that is... The 17th subtlety, we'll move on to the 18th. That one's kind of quick in terms of what I have highlighted for it. Gideon? Yeah, he's not looking at me. There you go. I know you hear me, kid. (laughs) Okay, 18th subtlety. I'm endeavoring to get to the 20th, but I'm also not going to do that if I have help to make sure. Depends on the time. 18th subtlety is quick also, though I have a couple scriptures for us. He says, Satan tempts us with the subtlety uh, to sin by persuading them to keep his counsel. So I think it kind of relates to the earlier one. He pretends to be our best friend, and then when he has our ear, we keep giving it to him. And we stop taking the counsel of those who really love and care for us. Same proverb, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. The truth hurts, but the truth is the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah, but we don't give our ears to that counsel once we start to give our counsel to Satan, who pretends he's our friend with, with flattery, right? And once he's got our ear with flattery, then he's treat, he subtly tricks us with persuading us to keep his counsel. Come back, let's talk again. How about in an hour? <laughs> you know, how about this, this evening? Yeah, you're going to be lonely. I'll be there, you know? Uh, instead, we should be thinking about Matthew 16, 23. Would you turn there with me? Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 23. This should be what we do. Well, let me start with 22. You get the context. Um, Matthew 16, 22. Then Peter took him, took Jesus, and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine? 
saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, Peter is saying, No way, Jesus. You're not going to go be crucified. I won't have it. This cannot happen. This isn't right. And what is Jesus' response? You know, thank you so much for caring about me. No, what does Jesus say in return? Verse 23. But Jesus turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. (laughs) Satan is tempting Jesus right there through one of his closest disciples. And appealing to what I think we, I mean, what does Jesus pray in the garden later? If there be any way to take this cup from me, because he knows how horrific it's going to be. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But of course, Satan speaking early, this isn't going to be fun. You do not want to go through this. And so he pretends to be his friend. And again, notice he does it through a friend. Well-meaning. Peter is well-meaning, but he's wrong. So it may not be flattery. It may just be, hey, you know, sometimes we want to pray for one another and encourage one another to say, uh, beloved, I want you to know I am here with you through the sickness or whatever it is, and I'm praying for deliverance. But if the Lord calls you to continue to go through this, I'm here with you. You know, how many people will say to us, well, if you are having problems or troubles, I know some of you have given us that feedback. I've gotten it. Uh, well, you know, faith says we're supposed to be healed. You're not supposed to have problems. You're supposed to have an abundant life, you know. That's not always the case. Sometimes it is, yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and I know that so-and-so is going to be here. Well, you don't know that. We're all going to die. I mean, I hope so. And I'm praying for that with all my heart, right? That's what we, but at the end of the day, we need to be there for one another through suffering. We need to be careful not to be the fake friends that Job had, <laughs> right? And we need to help people understand, I don't know what God's doing with this, but I'll be with you. And you certainly don't want to encourage someone to try to get out from under God's providence, uh, with 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 just even just lying to themselves to pretend it's not going to be that way anymore. Um, so we need to. I'm not. I'm not sure we want to respond to our well-meaning friends. Get out of here, Satan. <laughs> that may take some healing as well, because Jesus really was re- rebuking Satan directly in a in a profound context here. But I think we want to recognize that sometimes people may encourage us to avoid pain, avoid suffering and difficulties. Uh, avoid sacrifices. You know, I don't think a whole lot of missionaries probably would have gone around the world had they li- listened to certain well-meaning family members. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, we have to, we have to know what the Lord's uh, calling us to and through. And uh, we need to be making sure we get wisdom in the multitude of counselors, right? The Proverbs says. Um, he says there's danger in concealing it also. Satan wants to be our counselor and there's danger in concealing that, uh, concealing what we're going through in our troubles and, and, and only end up going to Satan and not really going to others uh, as we should for counsel. Okay, 19th subtlety. I think I can work through this one, and it may be the last one today. Uh, Satan makes use of fit tools and engines for carrying on his work. So not just, I think we've had that idea earlier, he's got all the different tools to pull out because he's been doing this forever, he's very experienced in tempting people to sin. 
not just he knows, oh, this is the golf club for you, <laughs> right, you know, or whatever it is. This, this is, maybe I should say better, this is the proper uh, tackle in my box to, to hook you, right? You know, I know you're going to bite that. This, this guy's going to bite that, but you're going to bite this. That's what I'll use. In addition, he has fit tools and engines for carrying on his work. One, he makes use of such as are in places of dignity to draw others into snares. Uh, think of the scribes and Pharisees. They were leading so many people against the Lord of Lords, right? Under this guise of religion. Man, that Sermon on the Mount is not really, that's pretty heavy stuff. That's really demanding stuff. We don't have to make commitments to all that stuff. Come on. What did they do? A lot of times they lowered the law, actually, and then they made their own man-made rules. Expect you to follow their lower man-made rules and not God's amazing rules, right? right? So people in dignity, you know, we tend to go with whatever, you know, the celebrity preacher says. And this isn't to mean that well-known preachers are inherently wrong, but, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lack of a willingness to ask questions, and I'm sorry, can you explain that? There's a danger in every presbytery, in every denomination, of the cult of personality. The truth is, some men have stronger personalities than others. Some of them have strong family lines within traditions of denominations. There can be other things. They have influence with the world. They have influence with finances. And a lot of people have a hard time questioning when something may not seem to be biblical or correct. And uh, Pilate, Herod, right? I mean, these dignities are, are influenced even by uh, the, the pressure of the multitude. Give us Barabbas! Crucify Jesus! And he kind of knew he shouldn't, right? Um, Herod, it would seem, didn't really go all the way with John the Baptist. He was intrigued by him, convicted by him. Uh, is it Antipas? No, not Antipas. Forgetting Agrippa, I think uh, he shook almost. You make me a Christian, right? There's, but there's the concern about what will others think of me, especially in places of dignity and power, prestige. It would seem to me, particularly in our world, those who are the quote-unquote educated ones in the universities, right? I'm not just speaking against education in universities, but you know what I mean. Um, So he makes use of such as those who are in dignity uh, to draw us into snares. Kind of go along with things maybe we know we probably shouldn't because of the influence of those who have a certain influence, often of some kind of dignity of a higher level. Two, uh, oh, excuse me, he gives us the example of Numbers 16, verses 2 and 10. Let's go ahead and look at that. Now, remember, we were in the book of Numbers not too long ago, and what do you see happen so often? The leaders keep going against Moses and Aaron and God and getting so many people into the same stupid sins, and they're all killed and die in the desert. And one time, it literally swallows up many thousands of them up. And uh, just because of bad leadership, people are, the bad leadership is not, we have to remain holy and obey the Lord, it's, you know what, we don't have to worry about all the particulars. We can sin. That's the bad leadership. Uh, and that's the way of the motley crew of the multitude, by the way, for the most part. Number 16, verse 2. Let me get myself there. Yeah, we won't look at it all. 
uh, kind of wanting to commit to that out loud. <laughs> Numbers uh, 16, verse 2 and 10, he gives us. Verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And then look at verse 10. And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? All of these princes, all these really famous, well-known people, get to the point where they presume upon God and Moses. We want you know, this kind of place of authority too. We won't look at all the response, but what happens every time this happens, including his own sister one time, right? Who made you the only prophet of God? She needed Moses to have mer- get mercy for her to no longer have leprosy, right? Um, it happens constantly in, in Numbers. And uh, what happens to them? It's not good. They follow the majority. It's the same thing that kept them in the wilderness. The majority said, we don't want to go in here. There's giants. Caleb and Joshua, no, the Lord will give us victory. This amazing place. Well, most of them died in the wilderness. Why? Because they went with the leaders of bad influence. But they have this influence, the famous princes, those of nobility. And uh, maybe we should say, uh, we ought not to despise the day of small things and be thankful how for the Lord preserves his remnant. Um, not that we don't pray that the Lord uh, does mighty works and grows his church, but uh, uh, often the danger is in the multitude and in the influential pastors and the influential places. Um, number two, Satan carries on his designs by men of wit and parts. So people who are really good communicators, really witty, you know, really smart. By the way, humor, and I'm not saying there's no place for humor. I've, I've certainly become a lot more liberal about it than I would have when I first came out of seminary. I think there's a place. But, um, you know, politicians, my understanding is the first thing they do, they usually tell a joke, right? Or tell a good story with a joke often when they're giving a speech at these debates and stuff. Why? Because as soon as you have them laughing, you have them in your hand. Once you get people to laugh about something, there is an inbuilt acceptance of it. And you can move them along and whatever you've just got them to accept by their laughter. And so he carries on his designs by men of wit and parts. People who just know how to be good communicators and, you know, the life of the party perhaps, uh, celebrity status. Yes, Abraham. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, he said they learned in speech and debate a few years ago, and this is not to abuse it, but just to be aware of it, that Hitler had such influence in Nazi Germany because he was an amazingly powerful speaker. He had this amazing personality and ability to win many people over. And then, of course, also after that, lots of powerful influence if you don't follow him once he gets the power, right? But, um, yeah, he. I mean, it didn't happen... All at once, it was that powerful influence. Of course, he spoke to things that they felt the need of, the hurts, the pains, right? He spoke to the things, pushed the buttons. Yeah, that's, that's the danger, that a person can win a lot of people over with bad things because of the powerful personality and influence. Okay, um, thank you, Abraham. Number three, related to this 19th subtlety, he uses fit tools and engines for carrying on his work. He uses other people to tempt us. He uses those who have the best opportunity and influence to tempt us, okay? It's hardest for us to go against those who have the greatest influence on us, right? 
Um, number three, he makes use of bad company to be instruments of tempting, especially to draw youth, young people, into sin. He makes use of the wrong crowd. You get into the wrong crowd, you spend your time with the wrong people, and that may or may not be literally these days. I think there's a whole lot of people, a whole lot of youth that stick to themselves in their basements all the time, but they have a whole lot of wrong crowd influence on all those different media, right? Um, uh, bad company, right? And uh, here I want to turn to two scriptures, and I am going to close here. We, I'm going to wait on the 20th one. I've said that out loud, so please remind me I said that. We can always pick it up later, okay? Um, but I do want to, I think, and this will be a good place to close. We'll just go to these scriptures. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 15, please. And we know this well, but I think it's beneficial for us to try to look at these and remember hearing and seeing, if you have your Bibles with you. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Now remember, what is Satan called? The deceiver. He's the father of lies. And he's subtle about it, though. You could say, you say here, don't be tricked, right? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, communications here, the word means company. Evil companionship. Spending time listening to, talking with, being around the wrong people and not the right people, because it'll crowd it out and push you away, and it'll prejudice you against the right people. It corrupts good manners. It corrupts. It poisons. It, it stains. It stains our eyes and our ears' ability to see and hear things properly, right? It, it gets us more and more with the wrong crowd, and a crowd's going a certain way. And what does Jesus say? Enter in by the narrow gate, right? The straight gate, the narrow way which leads into life. Few there be that find it. Don't be among the multitude, right? Who go the broad way which leads to destruction. But one of the influences is everybody's doing it, right? What, what do we like to say to our kids? Well, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you? And if they answer it wrong, it's, don't say it. <laughs> Just because everybody's doing it, that's one of the, probably the good signs you shouldn't most of the time right? And youth, you young people are the most in danger. You're the most impressionable because it's just like we talk about saying being a lion, right? The predators, they follow the crowd of animals. And who do they go after? They go after the sickly, the elderly, but they particularly go after the youth. Why? They're the easiest to take down. They're smaller. And Satan goes after the young people because you are the easiest to tempt. You are the easiest to deceive. Because you have less experience recognizing it, what it really is, who's really behind it, and you want to be liked by your friends. Now, it isn't that we're not uh, just as much prone to that, but notice again, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupts good manners. you got to be reading your Bible, you got to be praying, and you got to listen to the Holy Spirit when he speaks to you. You know better. And not dismiss Bible verses that are brought to your attention. Listen. Listen to people speaking the truth. Again, the proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's the kind of wounds that brings healing. Letting out the poison. Right? Getting the scar sealed. 
You want to, can you read it for us? Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, and thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in thee. Wow, Ecclesiastes 12.1, I think you're close enough, hopefully, that picked up on the mic for sake of time, because I want to try to close on time, but that'd be good. Ecclesiastes 12.1 would be a great one to go, thinking about that, because at the end it says, when you're older, you're going to not have any pleasure in it which is the warning of all these things from William Secker, right? It tastes good on the outside, it's bitter on the inside. And that's the thick of it, right? That's the most of it. Thank you, uh, Mr. Renner, that was excellent. Actually, I'm going to write that down here next to my other notes. Say it again, Ecclesiastes 12.1. Thank you. Okay, and lastly, uh, Psalm 119, verse 9. I'd probably have us sing it, but I want to be careful about time, so let's just read that one verse. If you turn with me, and we'll close in prayer. Psalm 119, verse 9. Well, I'm very, I was about to say tempted. I'm very eager to sing it with you, but, uh, but I think we'll just read this verse. You know, you get, you get going on Psalm 119, and it's hard to stop. It's a long psalm. So, <laughs> yes, Abraham. Huh? Verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for our youth. Please protect them. Protect them from Satan who is so tricky, so easy to deceive us, make things look good that are bad, especially through friends and those that we think are important. And we pray especially for our youth that you protect them and give them wisdom beyond their years. But we pray the same for us, Lord. And we know that there can be those who are less mature in spiritual things, though more mature in physical things. We, we pray for all of us, Lord. We know we are just as easy to be tempted. Give us wisdom, and give us wisdom in growing in these things, Lord, that we would sin less and love you more. Protect us not only from the sin of commission, but omission. And forgive us for our sins, O Lord, of, of uh, thought, word, and deed against you, not loving you with our whole heart, nor our neighbor as ourself. Cleanse us. Create in us a new heart, O Lord. Renew in us a right spirit. Restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. And, O Lord, keep back thy servants from presumptuous sins, and let them have no dominion over us. Then shall we be upright and innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. And bless us to keep good communications, that is, to keep good, holy company with your saints and with those clearly following after Christ with the greatest zeal after godliness. And we pray these things for your glory and for our good, that we would not grieve ourselves, nor one another, nor the Holy Ghost. We pray in Jesus' name and all your people said, Amen. Amen.